So, Father, uh, here we are, wanting to interact with your word better, wanting to interact with you better. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, so that we'd be able to receive what you have for us toward that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, there are five, count them, five ways that we interact with Scripture. Would you find a piece of paper or find a place on your page there to draw a little picture of a hand? Draw a little picture of a hand. That's a thumb. We need a thumb and we need four fingers, okay? There are five ways that we interact with Scripture. Our pinky represents hearing the word. Hearing the word. That is a valid way to interact with Scripture. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says, hear, 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 at least 50 times. It's right that we hear the word of God. But wait, there's more. Our ring man is read the word of God. We hear the word, ring man is read the word. Tall man is study the word. That's the third way that we interact with scripture. You can see here that reading is more in-depth than just simply hearing, and that studying is more in-depth than reading or hearing. Pointer represents memorizing the word. We should memorize the word as well. And you can see that memorizing is more than studying, is more than reading, is more than hearing. Thumbs is the most important way that we interact with scripture. That's the topic that will be covered this hour. Biblical meditation. Now, so yeah, meditation, right? In meditation for the thumbkins here. Now I'd like you to, to watch my hand here. The reason why we hear is so we can meditate. The reason why we read is so we can meditate. The reason why we study is so that we can meditate. The reason why we memorize is so that we can... Ready. Very good. You guys are sharp. You're just really brilliant here. So, the, the, so all of our interaction with scripture is for the purpose of meditation. You haven't interacted with scripture well until you've meditated on scripture. And this is how it ties into a prayer conference. We haven't meditated well until we have prayed scripture. We haven't interacted with scripture well until we've meditated. We haven't, we haven't meditated well until we have prayed. So, um, I'm going to, oh, here, uh, one other thing. I've got my tablet here. I can hold my tablet without my thumb. But it's not near as secure 
as if I grasp, I can only grasp my tablet if I use my thumb. In the same way, we can, only, we can hang on to scripture without meditation, meditating it, but you cannot grasp scripture until you have meditated on it. Okay? Meditation is the thumb of interacting with scripture. If you want to have a deep understanding of scripture, meditation is really the only way that you can get there. So, on your pages here, your notes, I have the first page called the goal of biblical meditation. And by the way, let's make this clear distinction. Um, Michael did it earlier, but talking about the Eastern meditation that got real popularized in the 60s, etc. Um, I'm, I'm talking about biblical meditation that has been around for centuries, years and years and years, and it's a very biblical thing. Don't shy away from the word meditation. Don't let them steal it from us. It's a tremendous word and a tremendous concept. Eastern meditation is the process of emptying our minds of things, Whereas biblical meditation is the process of filling our mind with God's thoughts. But that's not the goal of biblical meditation. The goal of meditation is to conform us. You can write that in there, in the first line there. To conform us to his word. And then there are two lines in that parentheses. Conform us to his word, written and living. To conform us to the written word and the living word. When God speaks, things happen. Have you noticed? Okay, Genesis chapter 1. And God said, and light stars. Actually, it says in Psalm, it says that God created with the breath of his mouth, he created the stars. So here's how God created the stars. <gasps> he didn't even have to say anything. It's just the breath of his mouth. <clears throat> but when God speaks, powerful things happen. The desired destination of God's word has never been stone tablets or papyri or paper or digital screens that's not the desired destination of God's word the desired destination of God's word has always been the human heart that's where he wants his word to land his, he speaks in order to have his word Get into our hearts. So what is our heart? It's that deepest part of us. That part where the desires come from. That part where our thoughts and our emotions hang out. Our motives, our passions, all those kinds of things. That's, that's where our heart is. Now I've given you a couple charts here on this page. And I would encourage you to, I, I realized as I looked this over, I did not write down scriptures for these, but for every line, there are scriptures that, that support these statements. 
Our hearts can be divided or whole, deceitful or honest, wicked or righteous, broken or repaired. All of these words, are, uh, all of these, at least one word on these lines comes from Scripture. Oblivious or discerning, hardened or softened, stubborn or yielded, faint, strong, callous, palpable, or pliable, I mean. They can be occupied or filled with pride or humility, pain, healing, etc. You can read those over. We are to turn to God with all our heart. We're to trust him with all our heart, to love him with all our heart, to forgive others from the heart, to let him rule uniquely in our hearts. Let me, just, let me just mention this part that we're to forgive others from the heart. Remember the story in Matthew 18 where Jesus says, once upon a time, no, Jesus didn't say once upon a time, <laughs> but where Jesus tells his story of a man who had a servant and the servant borrowed a bunch of money from the master and the master came and said, I need my money back. I need you to repay me. And the servant said, please be patient with me and I'll repay you everything. And the master said, no way, you pay it right now. And the, the, the servant said, no, 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 please be patient. And the master forgave him. Then that servant also had servants who owed him some money. And he goes to the servants and he goes to his servants and say, repay me. His servants say to him exactly the same words that he said to his master that he'd owe a bunch of money to. Please be patient with me and I'll repay him. I'll repay you. They, the, the middle servant said, no way. You pay up right now. And he did not forgive the, the guy. Other people heard what happened, and Jesus said, the middle, uh, uh, and Jesus said that the, that the first guy then, the first master, are you following this? Okay, the first master heard what the middle master had done and unforgave him and threw him into debtor's prison, torture. And then, one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible is the last verse of Matthew 18, where Jesus says, that's what your father, my father in heaven, that's what, that's what God will do to you unless you forgive one another from the heart. Our heart, what we do from our heart, what we do from the innermost part of who we are is really important. So God then knows hearts, moves hearts, searches hearts, tests hearts, strengthens hearts, turns hearts, replaces hearts, and writes on hearts. The best definition that I know of for biblical meditation is that is, here are the next four, the four lines here. The, the spaces where you can fill it in. God will write his word on the hearts of his people. 
God longs to write his word on the hearts of his people. Someone please, uh, if you have a Bible, someone please turn to Jeremiah 31:33, please. Is it Derek? Is it? David, okay. David's got Jeremiah 31:33 right here. Please read that. It's also repeated in Hebrews 8:10. <clears throat> One of the wonderful things that God did is he, he has established different covenants with his people. And what's called the new covenant is yet to come. It's described in Jeremiah 31. And the fourth last aspect of the new covenant says this. He says, I will. Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait, I got to get you the microphone here. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And, it will, be, and, I, I, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will write my word on their hearts. I want to be in relationship with people who have God's word written on their hearts. Amen? I want to be a person who has God's word written on him. I don't want to just know the Bible. I want to be the Bible. I, I, want it, I want it to be in me. I don't want to have to just, I don't want to just have to sort of look over here and say, okay, what am I supposed to do? I want that to come from my innermost being. Well, how that happens is through biblical meditation. Meditation, this is the last line here, down here. How does this happen? Meditation is the means. I'd encourage you to write it down here. Meditation is the means the Holy Spirit uses to write his word on our hearts. Biblical meditation is the means that God uses to write his word on our hearts. Uh, think, of, uh, think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not perish. Whatever it, and whatever it does will prosper. One of the promises of biblical meditation is if you meditate on his law, on his word, on what he says, you'll be prosperous like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That sounds pretty attractive. I'd like, to, I'd like that. I'd like to be around people who have abundant fruit that they're producing. I want to be a person who produces abundant fruit that they can, that they can, that people can come and pick on. Did you know that the fruit of the Spirit is there so people can pick on you? It's true. It's not for you, it's for them. Okay? They want it, they, God wants them to be able to find nourishment and, and freshness and tastiness off of your life. 
So somewhere jot down Psalm 1, 1 through 3, what I quoted there. Also jot down um, Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do it. And then I don't remember how it's exactly stated, but and, and when you do it, you'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. Prosperity, success, wholeness in living comes from biblical meditation. So let's take a look, please, at the second page. about the meaning of biblical meditation. Well, now this is interesting. I put some notes in here and uh, they are not here. I don't know these eight let's things in order, so I'm gonna go get a book and I'll be right back and we'll get it done here. You can carry on, do something important, do something significant for a minute, would you? Were you doing something important and significant? Good. What were you doing? Joshua 1 8. Let's close in prayer. If you get that, if you get that, you don't need anything else. I'm really, I'm really uh, curious as to why my notes didn't show up when I thought they were there. But obviously, this stuff is in is in the book that I've written called uh, "Experiencing Life and Power Through Biblical Meditation." Uh, <clears throat> so the meaning. Of meditation. Well, first of all, let's look at the words. Let's, under, let's understand, get right in there, let's understand the words. Uh, pretty simple, but I, I just want to mention that, I, in fact, I'm going to give you, if you would like to pursue this a little bit further, there are two families of words that the word meditation comes from in the Old Testament. One is, I'm going to give you the Strong's numbers. Do you know what, you know what the Strong's numbers are in a, concord, in a concordance, the Strong's concordance numbers? 1897, 1898, 1900, 1901. That's one family. Second family is 78, 78, 78, 79, and 78, 71. Those are... Uh, the family groups that these words come, these words come from. And it's, and it's interesting. We'll get into some sort of funny descriptions of these in a minute. Yes? What was the third last one? What was what? 78, 78. 78, 78, 78, 79, and 78, 81. This is the second family. You can check it out in the Strongs <clears throat> But what would you say? Be, be loud because I'm hard of hearing. What would you, give me a word, a, syn a synonym for the word meditation. Chewing. Good, what else? What? Chewing. Chewing, yes, chewing, yep. Or just like. Going, going over and over again, repetition. What else? As Michael said, like reflection. Yep, reflection, yep. Mulling. Mulling it over, yep, okay. So pondering, reflecting, meditating, 
thinking about it slowly. These are all basic definitions or descriptions of the word. So the second let's there, put let's slow down. Let's slow down. You can't meditate in a hurry. You don't meditate with a microwave. You meditate with a crock pot. Okay? You don't meditate in a fast food drive through window. You meditate at a, at a fine restaurant where you go in and sit down and have a five-course meal. Okay? To, to, in order to meditate, you just simply have to slow it down. You've got you to slow up and slow the pace down. You can't meditate in a hurry. The next let's is let's complain. Let's complain. One of the uses of the word meditation in scripture is what the Israelites did in the wilderness when they found out they had to eat manna again and again and again. They murmured. I like this description because we all are good at complaining. Don't be so pious. We're all good, We're all good at complaining. We know, we, know what, we know what to do. We know how to complain. Here's the key. Use the same process of complaining, but change the content. Okay? So, you need an illustration? Let's, go, let's, let's do an illustration. That waitress sure is slow. Good grief. And, and, and when, she, when she brought me my food, she stepped on my foot. Good grief. She, she has no manners whatsoever. And besides that, she spilled some of the soup on my lap. And you and you and you and you and you chew that. You chew that over and over. You you run that by over and over again. And pretty soon, by the time you're done with the meal, you're hating the waitress, okay? Because you have murmured, you have repeated, you have run that by over and over again. You are very, very, very familiar with all of the specifics of that situation because you've thought about it over and over again. That's complaining. Now. Extract the content and import biblical content. Someone give me a verse that, uh, just give me a reference that, that is familiar to you. Isaiah 41.10. 41, um, I can get there if you help me. Uh, uh, yeah, fear not. Yeah, fear not for I am with you. Uh, uh, don't be afraid, etc. So fear not. We'll just take that phrase, fear not. Okay? So instead of complaining about what the waitress did or about what your brother did or what about your, chi what your child did or whatever, instead of complaining about that, take, the, take biblical content, fear not for I am with you, and run that over in your mind and look at that from every different angle and become very, very familiar with all the details of fear not for I am with you and that's biblical meditation, okay? So I just, I just think it's a helpful and very and appropriately biblical uh, perspective to say, uh, go ahead, complain about it, okay? And then what our sister back here said earlier, chew on it, okay? Chew on it. In fact, the, um, the Hebrew word for what a cow does with its cud is meditation, how many, here's, a, here's an important question. You'll need to know this on the test. How many stomachs does a cow have? 
four. Four, okay? At least that's what I've been told. I've never been there, but I, <laughs> okay? Let the forest, and, and what it does is it, is it grabs the hay or the alfalfa and it chews it. And it chews it and it chews it. And then it swallows it and it goes into stomach number one. Now, I know we're right after lunch and such, but after a bit, it regurgitates it. Stomach number one gets its nourishment from it, and then it spits it back up into the mouth of the, of the cow. And it chews it some more. It goes to stomach number two, it goes through the same process. It, what it's doing is it's, it's extracting every bit of nourishment out of that cud that it possibly could. That's meditation. It's chewing it, swallowing it, it's, it's thinking about it, agreeing with it, and said, yes, 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 yes. And then later on, it comes back to mind, and you chew it more, and later on, it comes back to mind, and you chew it some more. That's, that's what meditation is and does, okay? <clears throat> the next let's is let's grow with it. Let's grow in it, I guess we could say. James 1.22 in the King James Version says it, it talks about getting nourishment from the engrafted word of God. You know how to engraft, how, how things are, how an apple tree is grafted, a branch is grafted into a, the stump of an apple tree? What happens is you've got, you've got an, a, a, a stump here that's got a great root system, but its fruit is not all that good. And you've got a branch from another tree that produces real good fruit, and you want to get more and more fruit off of that branch. So you cut it off of that tree over here. You bring it over to this stump. And what you do is you scrape the bark off of the trunk of the tree. You scrape the bark off of the trunk of the, or the end of the, of the uh, branch. And you hold that branch up against the stump. And you wrap cloth around it. And you keep the cloth damp. And you put some wires on it or some sticks on it to keep that there. You use something external to keep it there up against it. And, and pretty soon, after a few weeks, the sap from the trunk starts flowing through the branch. And voila, you have bigger and better fruit on that branch than you used to have. I think meditation is like that. Meditation is the process of taking the scripture, taking a truth about God, holding it up against my life, first of all, scraping off the trunk of this old soul, okay, taking the freshness of the word, holding it up here against me, using it, the external means of my brain, of three by five cards, whatever, and, and intentionally holding that truth up against it, soaking it with the water, of the Holy Spirit, all these illustrations are valid, okay, uh, soaking with the water of the Holy Spirit, and then pretty soon, the truth of that scripture is manifest in my life, because it has been written on my heart, and, and I find myself doing things, not even really thinking about them, because it's, it's become part of me, the external word has become part of me because it's been engrafted into me. Okay? Then another let's is let's swallow. Let's swallow. How many of you had tacos for lunch? You weren't part, okay? I had a taco for lunch as well. 
how that, pro, that, that taco right now is becoming my left knee. It's in the process of becoming hair. Doesn't have to be much there, but uh, it's in the process of actually becoming me physically. How that happened, that didn't happen when I ordered the taco. That was part of it. That didn't even happen when I bit into the taco. I tasted it. Didn't happen when I chewed the taco. Up to that point, there's no guarantee that that taco is actually becoming part of me. It didn't start becoming part of me until I what? Swallowed. When I swallowed that bite of taco, God, the, the process that God used to get food into me physically went into action and the corn tortilla or the flour tortilla, I don't even know, I guess with flour tortilla and the fish, I had fish taco and the little salad and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff, when after I swallowed it, it, it started going through a process of actually becoming me. In the same way, scripture doesn't become part of us when we bite it. It doesn't become part of us when we chew it. It only starts to become part of us when we swallow it. Well, what is, what is spiritual swallowing? There's a biblical word for spiritual swallowing. That word is amen. Amen is yeah. Amen is not just, oh, I agree with that. Yeah, amen. Amen is the word that says, that's true, and I'm receiving it. I'm accepting it. When we agree with Scripture, we're swallowing Scripture. When we say amen in our hearts to it, we're receiving scripture. Then the final, do we have seven there so far? The final one, the eighth one then, is let's talk about it. Let's talk, do, do I have eight or no? Five, this is not good. <laughs> Let me go through. Let's understand it was the first one. Oh, I know I missed, yeah, I know which one I missed, yeah. Um, let's understand it, let's slow it down, or slow down, let's complain about it, let's chew it, let's grow, let's swallow it, that's six, right? So the one that I missed is this, be consistent with it, be consistent with it. Years ago, when I was pastoring this church, it was in the 90s, I had, a, I had an experience with my right foot that just gave me tremendous pain. There was no known reason for this pain. My right foot just started hurting terribly. I was at the airport picking up Josh from a, a missions trip, and I couldn't even walk down the corridor. I had to be in a wheelchair to go down the corridor. After a day or two, it passed. I thought, that was, I'm glad that's gone. Several years later, it came back again. And I went to a doctor, and the doctor gave me pretty strong pain medication, and the pain went away. A few years later, it came back again, and I went to the doctor, and they said, you have gout. I said, oh, thank you very much. 
So the doctor gave me a prescription that I take one pill every day, and that was close to 20 years ago, and I'm still taking a pill every day. I call it gout out. And it is, and has kept the gout away. If I would have taken one pill, I still would have had times when I had gout. Okay? Meditation is like medication. Be consistent with it. Take it over and over again. Just keep on doing it over and over again, over and over again. You can't, you're not going to get mature by one session of meditation from one particular verse. But as you do that, over, as you meditate on scripture over and over again, you become more and more mature. Then the final one, the eighth one, is let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Uh, there are about a dozen times simply in the book, or in, in Psalm 119, there's about a dozen times where it talks about the importance of our words. What we say really matters. So after you meditate on something, or really part of the whole process of meditation on something, is talking about it with other people. Hey, can I share with you what God showed me this morning as I was thinking about this passage in Scripture? Just something like that. And talking about it, sharing about it back and forth. So that's sort of the meaning of meditation. Any questions at this point? Comments? The goal of meditation is to let the word of God be written by the spirit of God on the hearts of the people of God. The purpose of meditation, the goal there is, to, is that we'd be conformed to the word. The word would be written on our hearts. <clears throat> and then what is biblical meditation? Several different examples here. Let me give you some examples of, uh, so go to the last page, the process of meditation. We'll get very, very practical here. By the way, I don't have any idea what time this workshop started. Do you? Okay, we'll, we'll go until we stop. How about that? Okay. Yeah, but we started before 1.30, I think. So anyway. Okay, some, some biblical examples. I'm convinced that Jesus was meditating on the book of Deuteronomy at the beginning of his ministry when he was being tempted by the evil one in the wilderness. Why would I say that? I say that for two reasons. Number one, Jesus was in the same geographic area, there in the Jordan area, Jericho area basically, the same geographic area that the children of Israel were when Moses first spoke the book of Deuteronomy to them. They were just getting ready to enter into the promised land, just like Jesus was just getting ready to enter into his full ministry at that time. But the more compelling reason is that three times when, when the evil one tempted Jesus, Jesus responded in what way? Quoting scripture all three times. And he quoted scripture all, all from one book, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if your spiritual victory was dependent upon your capacity to quote three verses from the book of Deuteronomy, how would you do? 
Okay? And he was, he was meditating on it. It was very, very familiar to him. So when the evil one came to him, he just, he just spoke to the evil one what he had been doing. I believe Jesus was meditating on the book of Deuteronomy in that time. It says of uh, the next illustration is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, it says in Luke two times that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Luke never, there's evidence that Luke never knew Jesus when he was alive on planet Earth. But he investigated things thoroughly, and I believe one of the people he talked with was, was Jesus' physical mother, Mary. And so, because Mary had the, all, all the details of Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 with, with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and all that kind of stuff, and the, and the, uh, the shepherds, all the, uh, well, Mary had pondered those things over and over again. So when Luke came around and said, hey, Mary, can you tell me, Years, you know, 40 years ago, about the birth of Jesus, she said, I sure can, because I've thought about it a lot. She pondered these things. She thought about these things. She meditated about them day and night. And then the third example that I have here is the other Mary. Mary, as in Mary and Martha. Um, right down there, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. That's the story of Mary and Martha. And the story there is that um, Jesus and his 12 hungry friends showed up at Mary and Martha, actually Martha's house. I'm thinking it was, a, it was probably a Wednesday at about 11.45. That's what I'm thinking. Because they were hungry. And Martha sees them and says, oh my gracious, uh, I've got I've to take care of them. I've got to feed them. We're low on bagels. I've got to get bagels going over here. So bagel dust is flying around the kitchen and she's shoving bagels in the fire, etc. And she's over here squeezing grapes to get grape juice and such. And she looks over her shoulder and her sister Mary is just sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha says, Jesus... In fact, she, Martha says two things. Never say these two things to Jesus. Okay? Number one, don't you care? Never, never say, don't you care to the all-compassionate God. He does care. The problem is not his, the problem is yours. Number one, she says, don't you care. Secondly, she says, tell her to get in here and help me. Never give Jesus commands. When you start commanding Jesus around, there's something wrong. Not with him, but with you. But what is Mary doing during this time? She is, it's interesting, the Greek, uh, uh, the, the forms of the Greek words here are interesting. She was, she sat at Jesus' feet and was listening to him. The sat was a, a, a one-time thing, but the was listening was an ongoing thing. Mary was meditating. Mary was drinking in every word that Jesus said. She was pondering it. She was receiving it. She was amening it. She was, he, she was hearing it. It got into her system. So much so that Mary said, or that Jesus said, you know, in that passage, Mary doesn't say any words. It's only Martha who says the words. And then Jesus says back to Martha, Hey, Martha, dial down. Take it easy. 
You're distracted. You're the, you're the problem there. And then Jesus says of Mary, she's chosen the thing that will never be taken away from her. Sitting and listening lasts longer than bagels and grape juice. Okay? The serving stuff. And then the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I'd like you all to turn to Luke chapter uh, 24. The last chapter of Luke. Luke 24. And we're going to look at verses 28 and following. You know, the, okay, this is a story where the disciples are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus, this is the first Easter, the first, this is the resurrection day. Jesus comes up to these guys and talks to them, interact, interacts with them. And verse 28 says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going to go for, were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That last little bit, weren't our hearts burning when he talked with us and he opened the scriptures to us? That's what Jesus does as we meditate. So look at the process here. Right? Maybe you could write down a, a few key words here. They urged Jesus strongly to stay with him. Jesus acted as though he's going to keep on going. And they said, no, 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 Jesus, stay here. Giving Jesus an invitation for him to stay with you and to open up the scriptures is an invitation that he loves to do, loves to respond to. And then it says... When he was at the table with them. Part of meditation is sitting at the table with Jesus. And what does he do? He takes bread. He takes his word. He takes what he has said. He takes his word and he breaks it. And he gives thanks for it. This is an interesting thing. I love this part of meditation. When we say, Jesus, would you stay here and open the scriptures to me? One of the things that he does is he says, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you want this. He expresses thanks. And then he breaks it and gives it to them. And as he breaks it and gives it to them, what happens to them? Their eyes are opened and they see Jesus in a fresh way. Prior to that, they didn't know it was Jesus. After he does that, they say, wow, 
This, is, this really is the Christ. This is Jesus risen from the dead. Folks, listen. In, in biblical meditation, we see the resurrected Lord in fresh ways because he reveals himself to us in fresh ways. It's good. It's good. And then the final thing. We end up saying to one another, man, that was good. <laughs> Didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? If you want Jesus to be your preacher, he will do that. He will, he'll talk to you. He'll open the word for us. Okay, so some very practical specifics. When I think of biblical meditation, I think of three key words. Ponder personalize, pray. They're written down there for you. Ponder, personalize, and pray. Ponder rhymes with wander, and it's okay to wander as you ponder. As you're thinking about this passage of scripture, and you're, you're thinking about, you might go from here to there, to there, to there, to there, to there, and you're not sure where you even started. That's okay. Wandering around is part of pondering around. That's perfectly fine. Pondering comes because we ask questions. I would encourage you to jot that one down. Right now, ask questions. Pondering is asking questions. Why did Paul use this word? What does this word mean? How is this word related to that word? Why does this word come before that word? What is this phrase over here? What, what is that actually? What's that mean? Asking questions is a key part of pondering. The second step is personalizing. Personalizing. Climbing into the text. I, uh, I once had a friend who, 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 who said of a very famous preacher years and years ago, he was touring this preacher's church on an actual tour. And the, the guide said, this is the room where Dr. So-and-so teaches the Bible every week. And my friend said, yeah, he teaches the Bible. He tells the Bible what it means. No, no, no. Okay. I don't want to teach the Bible. I want the Bible to teach me. Amen. Now, I want, to, I want to share what I've learned and such, but I don't, want to, I don't want to tell the Bible what it means. I want the Bible to tell me what it means. So personalizing is climbing into the text. For example, John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, personalizing that is for God loved me enough so that his son, he gave his son to die for me so that if I believe in him, I will have everlasting life. Just changing the pronouns, climbing into the text, personalizing. Then the final step is praying. Praying. Taking what you've gleaned, taking what Jesus has said and praying that. Again, from John three sixteen. Uh, so now it's, it's not for God so loved the world, but God, you, direct conversation, God, you loved me so much that you sent your son in my place that I, 
could have eternal life. If I believe in him, you will give me eternal life. So ponder, personalize, pray. Now, I've presented them as three distinct steps, but they're really three braids on a, on a rope, okay? They all, get, they all get mixed up back and forth. Oftentimes, I'll pray before I ponder. I'll pray after, before I personalize it. I mean, they all just sort of get, get wound together. That's, all, that's okay. But just like in music, you don't start out playing Bach. You don't start out playing something real real fancy. You start out with scales. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Okay? You start out with something real basic. In the same way, it's helpful to, at times, be very intentional about these three steps. And then as you do that, as you're intentional in these three steps, it, it, they wander together, they, they merge together, they get braided together, and it's a, it's a, a fine thing and a good thing. Okay? So down at the bottom of this page, I've written out a verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. By the way, I think that that is the best gospel verse. I think that verse is a better gospel verse even than John 3, 16. But that's my opinion, and Billy Graham doesn't have to agree with me. Billy Graham can keep using John 3, oh, he's not going to keep using John 3, 16, is he? Billy Graham's done using John 3.16, but he used it very, very well along the way. But I think this is a great verse. So I want to encourage you. I want to give you some time to meditate on 2 Corinthians 5.15. By that, I mean I, I want to give you time that you would ponder it, you would personalize it, and you would pray it. Okay? But before we do that, I want you just to stand up for a minute, please. And somehow just take a deep breath, take a few steps, roam around a little bit. It's tired in here. It's, it's after lunch tired in here, okay? So, you know, just take a look. You know, this is a, this is a mini, mini stretch break is what it is, okay? Okay, now somebody without looking, tell me the, the reference of the verse we're going to meditate on. Very good. I want you to say that again. 2 Corinthians 5.15. Very good. Okay. All right. Go ahead and sit down, please. You're, now you're all refreshed, right? Now you are officially refreshed. But 2 Corinthians 5.15, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to meditate. I'd like you to read it over repeatedly. I'd like you to ponder it. I'd like you to ask questions about the words. I'd like you to interact with it personalize it, and pray it. And again, I would encourage you to be intentional about those steps. Later on, you can get them all mixed up and all jumbled up. But at this point, I'd just like you to, to be fairly intentional. Go through it about three or four times, just pondering it. And then go through it and climb in, change the pronouns, and make it very personal, and then come back and, and pray that. And then also, what I... What I'd like us to do after this is just share back and forth what the Lord showed us in relationship to this. So I'll give you about, um, I'll give you about three or so minutes here uh, to just take a step and then we'll check in with you, okay? So go ahead, please.
Okay, let me interrupt you here in your thinking. So, share with us something, an insight that the Lord gave you in the process of this meditating here. Yes, uh, and I'm gonna bring the microphone to you because evidently they're recording here, so. People, people on the other end of this microphone want to hear you. Well, I was, I was asking questions through the verse, and I asked, Lord, why did you die for all? And the answer is because he loves us. And why should we live no longer for ourselves but for him? And the answer is because he loves us. And I just thought that was pretty profound. Very good, yeah. So you just asked some questions of the text, and you got some answers. Yeah, good. Something else, anybody else? Okay, hold on a second, I'll get to you. Yes. Um, the word like interchanges, so when I read a word, I hear the word and he said, I felt like um, his desire for restoration in unity, which goes with John 17, that his desire was our love motivated him to come here and exchange life for the death that we were in because of the fall. Therefore, if he died for us based on love for him, then we will be like him and we will no longer live in ourselves for ourselves, but live for him because he died and raised again. And when he did that, because we're one with him, we live now forevermore here and eternity because of his love. Excellent, good, that's a, that's a great illustration of just in a couple of minutes, you just, now obviously you'd had some of that before, okay? But just in the, yeah, but, but things just sort of pulled together and such and, and you pondered as you wandered. You, you, different thoughts uh, came on into that and you put it, sort of put it together. Someone else? So it's less of an answer because there wasn't really time for the answers, but my question kind of came at the end was, and he was raised. My question was, if he was raised, where is he now and what is he doing and why was he raised, which goes to the intercessory work of Christ, which obviously <laughs> would take a lot more time to actually yeah. answer. So, and, and this, is, this is a great, great example right here. When you ask questions, I don't always get the answers right then. Sometimes the answers come a lot later. And uh, sometimes the answers come when I'm least expecting it. It's not when I'm at my desk or in my chair studying or meditating. It comes when I'm mowing the lawn or something. Some Just bang, there's, there come, the, a thought comes into my mind. And I think, oh, that's the answer to the question that I asked before. So good illustration. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we. Uh, some of you mentioned this, but... So, according to this verse, why did Jesus die? He died for all that those who, this is a great phrase, those who live should no longer live. You see that? That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But I, th I think it's just very, very interesting. He died so that I would no longer live. He died so that I would no longer live my old life, but I would live a new life for him. Part of my meditation on this verse has been, 
Wow, I, I lived, it's very easy. My default setting is to live for myself. I need something very, very strong to pull me out of living for myself. And his death is the strongest thing that I know of that will convince me to no longer live for myself. If the Son of God died for me, I want to live for him. Okay? Anything else that you got from in the process of pondering, personalizing, and praying from 2 Corinthians 5.15? Okay, that's fine. I want you to give me a reference now. Um, someone tell me, a, tell me a verse that has been meaningful to you. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Look up Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's cheating. That's too much like this other verse. It's not, the parallel themes there, okay? Uh, but, but let's do that. Go to Galatians 2.20. And I want to give you about three or so minutes to meditate on Galatians 2.20. Okay? It comes right after Galatians 2.19, in case there's any question about that. Okay? So turn your Bible to Galatians 2.20 and just take some time and, and meditate on that. It's very interesting because it is very, very parallel to 2 Corinthians 5.15. Yeah. Go ahead and take a couple minutes here. Now, a very interesting thing about this verse, is, and it's is a great example here, it, it is already personalized, isn't it? Paul is writing from his own perspective, and so it's very easy for us. We don't have to change pronouns here. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's not he was crucified, but I... I so that, that step is augmented for us, as it were, right there, okay? Uh, I'd like to go back to 2 Corinthians 5.15 for just a minute and just go through the process very slowly. I'm not going to do the pondering part, but I want to do the personalizing and the praying part. So 2 Corinthians 5.15, personalized would be, he died, not for all, he died for me. So that I would no longer live for myself, but I would live for him who died and rose again on, on my behalf. Okay? Then the praying part would sound like this. Father, you had Jesus die for me so that I would no longer live for myself, but I would live for him who died and rose again on my behalf. And just, just praying that, again, I want to emphasize this. That's how the written word gets written on our heart. That's how the living word gets it. That's how we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. So, to Galatians, to Galatians 2.20. Uh, what, would, what would praying Galatians 2.20 sound like? Wendy, thank you. What would praying, Galatians 2.20, I know this lady so I can do this. 
What would praying Galatians 2.20 sound like? There's no wrong answer. <laughs> okay? Good. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that I have been crucified with Christ. Thank you that I no longer live, but that you live in me. Thank you. Thank you that the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Thank you for loving me and delivering yourself up for me. God, I ask that you would do that for those I love as well. I recognize you have done that. Help me to share that with them. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus name, amen. Yes, got to get that in or It doesn't count. <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. Now, Wendy emphasized thanking him along the way, which is perfectly fine, okay? But it doesn't have to just be on that particular thing. It can, you can be praying, Father, that's what it says there. Let, let that happen in me. That's what I want. Do that in me right here, right now, okay? Anything else from Galatians 2.20? I don't know your name or I'd call on you. Esther, now I know your name, so I will call on you, okay? What, what, what is something from Galatians 2.20 that was meaningful as you pondered that? Okay, okay, yeah. Well, Esther, Esther says talk to Shane, right? Okay, James, okay. James, like the apostle James. Yeah. <laughs> so what stood out to me was um, it's not just living for God, it's letting God actually live through you. And that's, that's what stood out to me because that's kind of what it focused on in the first verse we look, looked at in Corinthians. But in here it kind of emphasizes, you know, actually letting God live through you, you know, be a vessel for Christ. You know, that is apostolic, buddy. That's, that's very good. That's very good. The first verse, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, I, want, I will live for you. But the difference, there's a lot of similarities, yes, but the difference is in Galatians 2.20, God says, I will live in you. I will live through my, I, I, I will live my life through you. That, that's a great insight, and that's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. God, today, as I go about my day, I don't want to just be living my life for me, nor do I want to just, uh, nor do I, nor either do I want to live my life for you. I want you to live your life through me, and therefore it will be for you. That's good. Good. Okay. All right. So that's uh, meditation 101 kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, there's a lot more stuff that I wrote about in the book, but uh, that's, that's what is here. And if you, if you just take this, Again, think of, think of Psalms, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sin, who sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night, and he will be prosperous. Okay? And Joshua 1.8, don't let this book of the law come out of your mouth, or be, be out of your mouth, but meditate on it so that you'll be careful to do it, and then you'll be successful. Biblical success, biblical prosperity comes through biblical meditation. All right? Let me pray. Father, thank you very much that you have been 
very deliberate in telling us what's most important, how we can most import, uh, the, the best way that we can interact with your word. I pray that you would help me and help us to meditate well so that your law is written, your word is written in our hearts. Amen. Amen. So uh, on that first page, there are several other references. I'd encourage you just to take some time at some point and study that along the way, uh, especially, especially the importance of the word getting into our hearts. Uh, that's, that's a, God doesn't want your mind. He doesn't just simply want outward action. He really want, he's after our heart. Okay? All right, then. Uh, go and do something else and come back when you're supposed to be here. I think, I think, thank you very much. I'm supposed to be back, I think, at, at 2.30, right? 2.40, okay, whatever it is. Just a minute, we'll get it, we'll get it here. We'll look at the, yes, 2.40. So you can be on a break until 2.39.59. We're back at it.